Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. We're going to Tuesday. Busy Tuesday with the uh, back end of the Elite Eight. We get an early start here, noon, noon, noon. If you're listening, well, then you know we're on. So we go until 4 o'clock until really good games tonight and of much interest. I know we have a ton of L.A. transplants in Las Vegas. We got USC and Gonzaga going at it as game one. And then game two, you know, two of the bigger names in college sports, UCLA and Michigan. Hasn't always been great recently. Uh, from a college basketball standpoint, but uh, UCLA certainly has a legacy in Michigan. Had their run. Of course, uh, looks like they cheated to do it with the Fat Five, but uh, they're back. Michigan is a big-name program, number one seed, so we'll see if two of the number one seeds can advance. Those games go down right after the show as we cut out early at 4 o'clock. Uh, we'll find out in a little bit from uh, John Von Tobel and also uh, Sammy P., our gambling expert, from Nesson, where they are on the game, or games, uh, Gonzaga is eight and a half against Southern Cal. Total is a very uh, robust 153, six and a half. Michigan is favored over UCLA. That one is a lower total, which may be the overs to play there. 135 is the number. Two teams advanced last night. You had uh, Houston and Baylor move on. So two Texas schools. And interesting stories behind both of them. Because the Cougars program has been fighting forever to try to get back to relevance where they were in the 80s. Baylor almost had the program shut down completely. Frankly, they should have got the death penalty around the Dave Bliss stuff back in the early 2000s. And uh, Scott Drew's done a really good job rebuilding it and got it to a certain level about six years ago. And now he's broken through. And they've reached the Final Four for the first time in 71 years. Uh the Cougars are not exactly the Cougars of old, John, with Phi Slamma Jamma. They have some really good players. Like Quentin Grimes is an NBA player. Uh, Jerome may be an NBA player. But they do things a little bit differently. Uh, I will tell you, I was annoyed last night as I kept seeing the graphic about how good Houston's defense was. And they're like, oh, all these teams at 60 points or lower. And they were showing shooting percentages. And there was one team in the middle of it that had shot 44%. And, of course, that was Rutgers. Uh, my school, which I still, come on. I have a right to be angry, right? The the team, they were, they were up nine with four minutes left. Now that team's in the final four. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll reset. We'll come back. We're going to talk to Q Myers. We'll get JVT on as uh, Q is going to check in on the Baylor situation and also the Raiders as he does that Locked On Raiders podcast. Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. You're explaining what you were seeing with uh, Houston in terms of style of play. Uh, well, I just don't think they're a very, they're not an efficient offense overall when it comes to their half court offense, right? Like there's not a lot of sets run. Uh, I have lately, I've been equating it to, to use a hockey term, dumping and chasing, right? Like they're just like throw it up, get an offensive board and then put it back or kick it out to an open shooter. When you get a 19 offensive rebounds against Oregon State, like that, those kind of things are going to help you. I haven't really been impressed with their half-court offense in any way whatsoever. And so when you, like, moving forward against a team like Baylor, who can rebound just as well as you can, like, I just don't know how how long you can live like that if you're a team like Houston. And granted, they're in the Final Four, so you can live pretty long. But, 
we can also quibble about the road that they took there with a bunch of double-digit seeds to get to this point. So you are very bullish on laying the points with Baylor? Yeah, so I wanted to lay four and a half with the five, uh, so I haven't laid it yet. I, I'm going to hope that there is some support for Houston, and right. that gets back down to like four and a half <laughs> yeah. unless it continues to go up. But I just I think there's a lot of advantages in favor of Baylor for sure. It's going to be a tough matchup. and uh, Play a 1-3-1. While I will sit here and mention that I don't trust Houston as a Final Four team based on their conference and their schedule, I will not say the same thing about Gonzaga because that's what people always say about Gonzaga. I think we've we've seen that the Cougars got through a a pretty nice schedule and a lot of breaks. They made some of their own breaks, but they got a lot of scheduling breaks in the tournament. So we'll hit on it throughout the week as we get ready for the Final Four. But uh, I'm gonna have to be sold on the fact that. Houston can win this game and also uh, keep it within like eight, nine, ten points. I'm 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 not bought in. Uh, so we're waiting on updates with uh, other college job openings out there. We're going to get into both Oklahoma and Texas later on. Boy, Texas is like the center of the college basketball universe. It's weird, isn't it? Right. Shaka Smart's off to uh, Marquette. Do you love the speculation on Chris Beard? Mr. Mr. Dream Job. He would only leave UNLV for Texas Tech. I mean, it was his dream job. Yeah, apparently that was dream job, maybe Texas, where he went to school. Well, look, I think I said this to you, or I don't know if I said this to Adam on the podcast. Like, uh, Texas Tech could have still been a dream job at that point, right? Sure. Like, this is a guy who was at Arkansas Little Rock <laughs> and then went to UNLV for a week. Like, at that point, Texas Tech was probably a dream job for him. Sure. But your, your dream time, job, your dream job was ESPN Las Vegas. Right. Then your dream job was VSIN. Uh, next up, your dream job is I, I don't know. I'll guess the Ringer. Right. I, I don't know. You could have a new dream job, I guess, every two years. You forgot that cage, baby. Like, but but <laughs> the thing is, the dream job was used as an excuse. Right. Just like with Otzelberger, you know, like well, I mean, what can he do? He's going to turn down his dream job? I don't know. You made a commitment, mm-hmm. so stick to the commitment. Now Beard is not in a position now where he has anything. He doesn't know anything to Texas Tech. Um, it's it's a crazy situation though, and. I'm sure in that state, folks in Lubbock are like, my God, we've got the guy. Please don't leave. I just wonder what Texas Tech can do to you know, keep him around because Texas should be able to come in and go, all right, you're making five million a year now. Uh, here's seven. Right, 100%. I mean, like, I think the only thing, and it's not even that, like, because it's not like you're inheriting a program that is down, right? Like, this is a Texas team that was, what, a two seed and uh, was uh, generally a very good team this year. I mean, for the most part, it's not going to be the same job as it was with like a UNLV, uh, right? You're inheriting a very solid program on solid footing. So, like, I don't know what you can rely on if you're Texas Tech, other than maybe trying to out, like, to output the uh, excuse me to match the output of money. But I don't think you can do that. Lubbock restaurants like Beef O'Brady's, which is a chain. I don't know where the hell there's one close to us, but I know they're uh, they're in Florida as well because they sponsored bowl games in the past. And Italian Garden are offering Chris Beard, our guy, former UNLV coach. Free food for life. I mean, Italian Garden is offering free pasta for life. Salad. Pasta in Texas? Beefo Brady's is offering free wings. Wings are like 2021 caviar. They're, they're, they've gotten pricey. The mini chickens apparently are not in uh, high demand or, or high uh, supply. So you're not buying either one of these. You made a face. You're like, free wings, free pasta. Come on, up, up it. I'm not staying in Lubbock. Just for this kind of free food, I would be insulted. Actually, oh, this really? would this would make me want to take the That's job. That's it. Imagine like, that would be great. At, I want at, the, at the press conference. Right. I, at the press conference for Texas, he comes out and he says, "What? By the way, you wanted me to stay. Give me the whole menu. Yes. It's insulting. What I have done for Texas Tech is unmatched. I deserve the entirety of the menu, not just beer, not just wings, not just pasta. I get everything for free, and my family too." 
Can anyone in Vegas step up to give free food for life? I guess it would be a violation to the players who were on the team. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's gone 100%, but yet another player entered the transfer portal. Uh, Caleb Grilled, that one's going to hurt. Can they replace him? Of course. Devin Tilla surprised me. Last night, David Jenkins Jr. Now, we can sit here just like we did with Marvin Menzies in the end of that era and pick apart guys who went into the transfer portal. As it's turned out, the majority of them moved on and actually were really good. And in the case of JTT, is now in the Final Four. I'm not here to pick apart David Jenkins. They need him next year. And he was really good at one thing. And two last two-thirds of the season, his three-point shooting was great. Now, he was uneven performance. There's one like every game he's sitting there going four of ten. But the guy wound up shooting in, you know, the 43% range from three. He's a good player. And it's like we talk in uh, football when we're trying to handicap games and teams have injuries. And then we talk about cluster injuries. Now you're getting to cluster transfers where replacing four guys is one thing. Five? Mm-hmm. Seven? Is it going to get to nine? So I know people are probably freaking out right now who pay attention to UNLV basketball. Uh, and Jenkins also said in his note that he's not completely done. He wants to explore his options. So we'll see. We'll see if, one, they want to re-recruit him. I think they should. And, two, if he's if he's really open to it. there was I saw some little beef developing last night. Uh, our buddy Mike Romala wrote that Otzelberger and Jenkins had a falling out at one point. Supposedly, Otzelberger said, I don't enjoy coaching you anymore. Uh, Jenkins saw this and said that's not true. So, and the most hardcore of hardcore UNLV fans are like, eh, you know, Gramala, why are you stirring things up? You hate the problem. lying. Like, I don't know. No, you're right. I mean, look, especially when you're talking about the game of college basketball, a guard with as much savvy and as much experience as Jenkins has, uh, that's going to be a necessity on top of the cluster transfers that you're experiencing. And I think he fits what generally what you're expecting from Kruger and what the staff and what the team is going to look like next year. So I 100% agree. And look, to the point of, you know, that report from Gramala, you know, Adam and I were laughing at it yesterday on the podcast about the somewhat rude nature of TJ Alterberg being like, oh, by the way, I don't even like coaching you anymore. Like you. <laughs> right? Like, you're not welcome here and I don't like you anymore. Um, that sounds to me like the uh, the phone can message where, uh, or whatever, the phone game message, whatever it is, right. where the message gets delivered initially one way and then after like seven different people, you talk about it. It's you know, it's it's kind of, sh- it's not false, but maybe the exact nature of the conversation gets a little dramatic. Right, where it's like you know, I feel like the joy in our relationship is gone. Maybe that's what he said to him, right. and then it gets turned into, I don't like coaching you anymore. <laughs> I hate your guts. Right, right. I think we need some time apart from each other. So <laughs> I hate you so much. Right. So, but I think I agree with you. Like a lot of people will pick apart these players as we usually do. I think Jenkins would be a necessity for this team, you know, to bring back. And I think at least the staff that you're bringing back, right, and the staff that you have hired, you have a very good opportunity to do so. Cofield got his mortgage tuned up. You should too. Call 877-700-NOVA now to lower your interest rate and lower your payments. From the fantastic Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. Just kicking things off on a Tuesday on ESPN Las Vegas. And uh, believe it or not, we got to talk a lot of Baylor today. The men's team into the Final Four. We'll get to the women's team. Ugh. Uh, always issues with Kim Mulkey and our guy in Texas and our guy for Raiders Talk on Tuesdays is Q Myers. 
So this must be really cool for the market because uh, Baylor, I mean, at one point, I mean, this was about as low as you could get as a basketball program. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what Scott Drew's been able to do with the Baylor men has been amazing. You know, and it's funny, uh, Cofield, a few years ago, it was probably about five or six years ago, we were talking on the show about the, the men's basketball team, and we felt like it had got to a plateau where it couldn't really get any better. Like Scott Drew's done a good job, but just can't get over the hump. And so myself, and I have no problem admitting this, and I'll tell Scott Drew that himself, I even said, hey, maybe you've got to look in another direction. Maybe you've gotten as high as you can go, and, and if you want to get over the hump, you've got to bring in someone that can get you there, almost like the, the Steve Kerr, Mark Jackson effect. You know, someone, someone that could take a good team and make them a great team. And, well, they stuck out with Scott Drew, and he's changed up his style a little bit, especially on defense. And, of course, you've seen this year with the great guard play with Jared Butler and Macy Oteague and, of course, Davion Mitchell – I mean, they've just taken their game to a whole nother level. But there was a lot of conversation a few years back where it was like, wait a minute, Scott Drew, really? Is, is he really that good? Is he a good coach or is he just a good recruiter or, or what's mm-hmm. the deal? But lo and behold, now they're in the final four. And it's like, yeah, Scott Drew's the best coach ever. You know, <laughs> give him a raise. Keep him around for 10 more years. So it's 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 good times. And it's a lot of fun to talk about what he's been able to do with the program. Q, when did you get to the market? Uh, 2012. So I, I wasn't here when it went down to its very very low low point but i'll tell you man it is not a even a conversation a lot of uh, the locals want to talk about except for the fact that glad that they're not in that situation anymore yeah, i mean don't forget for the audience who's a little bit younger uh with the dave blitz situation and you had freaking a murder around the program uh frankly not you know this is not pun intended because it's a sick story baylor probably should have gotten the death penalty back in the early 2000s and they got damn close to it where they uh, they came out of the gates. I think the first season was Scott Drew. They played like 16 games total. They didn't win beyond single digits for the first three years. So he's done a great job. And you know, he's built a lot of this with an eye on what you have to do in modern times. And that is picking transfers, trusting transfers, landing transfers. And, you know, all these guys, these guards who are impossible to cover and can get to the basket anytime they want between Butler, Mitchell, and Teague, they all came from outside the program. Right. They all did. And, you know, the other thing about Scott Drew that really impresses me with what he's able to do with a lot of talent is he convinces these guys to redshirt. You know, he convinces these guys to stick around the program more than one year Mm -hmm. in a day and age where it's one and done. Let's get to the NBA and let's go try to make some money. He convinces these guys that, you know what, you need to stick around for another year. You need to stick around for two more years, develop your game. And, oh, we could go win something at the same time. But, uh, yeah, man, he's picked the right transfers. You know, we see some programs that just take anybody in and then, well, uh, lo and behold, you see what happens uh, in, in the offseason or off the field or, I mean, they're off the court, whatever. It's just it ends up being a bad situation. But he's picked the right guys. He's trusted in uh, his scouting and trusted in his coaching staff. And and uh, they've been able to do a really good job. But those three guards that you mentioned, man, those are some amazing, amazing dudes on the court. They're all big. And uh, like I said, they can get to wherever they want with the dribble pretty much any time. Is there does Baylor have like the guy or is it truly a three headed monster? It's a three-headed monster, and that's the difference between the team uh, a year ago to, to a, a team this year. You know, Jared Butler was the dude. I mean, he was the guy last year, and uh, there was a lot of speculation that he was going to go to the NBA, and he even dipped his toes in the waters to see, you know, what the NBA and the coaching staffs were talking about, scouts, where he'd be drafted, and decided to come back for another year, which was a surprise. And then Macy Oteague made the decision to return as well, and I thought that was a great decision for both those guys. I thought they could still, you know, kind of develop their game a little bit, but – I mean, Davion Mitchell has taken off. He was a really good player last year, but he didn't have a very good three-point shot. 
Now he's developed that three-pointer, and so he's deadly. You mentioned he can get to the cup at any time. He can lock you down defensively. But now with the, the ability to hit the three the three ball as well, I mean, he's a guy that I've been looking at some NBA mock drafts, which, you know, take them for what they're worth. But you know, I'm looking at those, and he's going to be the first Baylor Bear off the board, not Jared Butler, not Macy Oteague, but Davion Mitchell just because of the way he's been able to develop his game. You know, the other important thing uh, they do, and we're talking a little Baylor basketball. We usually uh, hit a lot on the Raiders, and we're going to do that in a little bit with Q Myers on – Tuesdays, Q does a local show in Waco, uh, Waco along with his Locked On Raiders podcast. Um, in that bunch of transfers, you know, we were just talking about getting guys to stay around, grow old with the program, make sure they're character guys. They're not, you know, one and done in the program looking to go right to the NBA. Uh, if people remember when UNLV got rid of Marvin Menzies, there was a rating of the roster as guys went into the transfer portal. Uh, JTT, uh, yep. Chamo Chachua was like he was – he was really quick in and out. Like the decision was made pretty early on. I don't know if contact was made, you know, even before Marvin Menzies had gone bye-bye, but that's like, that's a typical guy. JTT is a dude who I think at UNLV would have developed into, you know, a, a 12 and 10 guy, right. With some blocks. Um, but he goes up a level, goes to the big 12 and he's going to be a freaking rock as an inside guy. And he's, I don't know if he's a pro prospect here, but he is going to play professional basketball, and he's just – he's a massive individual. You can see here as a true freshman, you're like, my God, this guy could probably weigh 275 pounds, and he would not look fat. No, not at all. He is. He's the absolute specimen. You know, I mean, he, he just – and he's he's a great guy, you know, on and off the court. It's funny. They call him Everyday John because his name is so difficult to say. You know, they either call him JTT or Everyday John. But, man, he's brought a lot of life to that team as well. You know, they uh, lost Freddie Gillespie from last year's team, and so that was one of those guys, and he was a great story as well, a D3 guy that, uh, you know, went to community college and worked his way up, you know, and, and finally made it onto the Baylor roster and did some good things, and he's playing in the G League right now, but – uh, Everyday John has really taken that role. And, and like you said, man, he's just a rock right there in the middle. Of course, you got Mark Vidal there as well, kind of like the engine that makes everything go. But, man, I, I'll tell you, that Everyday John is, is a lot of fun. Uh, he, and he's only getting better. You mm -hmm. can see he's scratching the surface. He will play professionally somewhere, oh, yeah. overseas, in the U.S., whatever. But he's really just getting better. As, if you see him, his game develop, man, it's scary how good that guy could be. So you have a this is a dream scenario for you. you got two great topics today. How much time do you spend? on your show talking about the men versus the women the women had a chance but fell short and we'll get into some of the issues but how do you split up the show today it's going to be a good question it really is got a lot to get to on the show today but uh, i think really probably lead off with the lady bears i i really oh. honestly believe that was the best game of the night to be honest <laughs> even though baylor men won in advance the lady bears with an opportunity to take down uconn even though it was Elite Eight, I think that was the problem. It was an Elite Eight game. It should have been a Final Four game. But with them having the opportunity to win that game and, and just the style that they did and the expectations that they have each and every year, I think that you have to lead off with that one. And, of course, talk about the controversy at the end that I don't even think is big controversy, but I know it'll get the, it'll get the audience riled up and going. So uh, I'll probably start off with a, you know, with, with a, a conversation with the Lady Bears and see what kind of reaction we get. I'm sure that'll be the lead, though. So you said it's not a big controversy. You're talking about the non-call at the end of the game? Yeah, and the reason I say that, I know a lot of people really? are like, wait, what do you mean? It was clearly a foul, which yeah, it was. Yeah. I, it was a foul, but that was a very physical game. That was a game that I have not seen be allowed to be as physical as it was on Monday night. And, you know, my mom texted me as soon as the game was over. She's all, how come they didn't call it foul? And I said, well, they – 
they really were physical all game long. I mean, I, I kind of not mad that they didn't blow the whistle all of a sudden at the last second when, you know, when there's an opportunity to go to the line. And I get it. It was a foul. But there was so many fouls I could call throughout the course of the game. And I always go back to officiating is not the reason why you win or lose a game. Baylor missed a bunch of free throws. Uh, Baylor turned the ball over down the stretch. Baylor lost D.D. Richards down the stretch, and that was huge. Um, there was a lot of different reasons why they lost that game and still had an opportunity to win it at the end. You know what I mean? So I get it. It's it's controversial in a sense because it was a foul, but that game was so stinking physical that I, I can't even really get mad at it. If you're mad at them not calling that one, then you got to be mad that they didn't call the rest throughout the course of the game that a lot went in Baylor's direction as well. I'd be mad. <laughs> I get it. Well, I get it. It was I, physical, I, and, there, I, I, and if you want consistency, then maybe you don't call it. But it was so obvious. You had a Baylor yeah. player dribble into two defenders bigger than her. They both dropped their arms. They, they you know, they didn't stay straight up. Uh, they right. both got her underneath. It was a hundred percent a foul. And uh, I don't know. After the game, I, I don't. Gino Oriema was asked about it. I don't know what he's supposed to say. He made a couple of smart aleck remarks, and and right. Kim Mulkey was like really short. About it, I understand her being annoyed. It's it's just an awful position to be in, and on a national stage like that, make the freaking call. I mean, you you I just, you just don't want the officials to to be the reason for the game, one way or the other. It was an I mean, you, Q, it was an obvious you, call. They're not you're not you're not you, walk, you're not walking away from that. Going, hey, the refs took over the game. This is not hashtag ref show. It's a it's an easy so, call to make. Make the call. Right, but they didn't do it the whole game. That's the thing. They didn't make the call the whole game. So they were consistent there. I'm not saying they were right, but they were consistent. And that's all you really asked for, right? Damn. I play pickup with Q. I'm never getting on the court. <laughs> he's letting everything go. He's going he's gonna to foul. He's going to foul, foul a crap out of everyone out there and be like, hey, we're playing physical. You want to be a pansy or you want to play basketball? I mean, look, we always say that we get so mad at tic-tac fouls, tic-tac fouls. Yeah. And that was not a tic-tac foul. But – Again, throughout the course of the game, they allow. I mean, Dejanay Carrington had about two or three blocks where she low came down on the UConn player's head, and they didn't call anything. There was a play, a couple plays ahead of time where UConn looked like they should have had an and one, and nothing was called. I mean, I just, I feel like maybe you could say it was a poorly officiated game, but I don't think that them not blowing the whistle at the end was the end all be all for the game. I think you could do your entire show today if you chose to on Kim Mulkey, and not about the game, but what she said after the game. Um, yeah, I'll just tell you. I think Kim Mulkey's a jerk. Uh, I think I think she's been a jerk on multiple occasions. I think she's a sore loser. Not in this case. Um, I don't get her. I don't even know what she said after the game. I don't know if that was an anti mask statement. If she's tired of COVID testing. If she's blaming that for the performance in the tournament. What What did she say? Can you decipher? Can you translate? Yeah, she was on. I mean, it was obviously the the, the post game media session, and uh, a guy from Baylor Bears Insider asked her about the adversity her team had overcame throughout the course of the season. And so, really, it was it was not uh, you know a question directly about wearing masks or COVID or anything like that. It was just adversity in the season. And so, right when she ended her answer, then she said, "Well, and then I want to add on." And so then she decided to add on where she should just shut it down and left it alone, but then she added on talking about not taking COVID tests the rest of the way, and you can see that she almost, you know, cursed right there, where she she almost dropped the S-bomb, just, you know, and then just kind of cleaned it up a little bit. Uh, I don't know why she would go there. I, I have no idea. Q, what's what's her case? Is she saying that the testing got in the way of them winning? Has it been no. a problem? No, she's she's, she she's, just, she's um, anti-testing. She's anti-vax. Like, what's the deal? I think she's just tired of everything. I think she was annoyed because they lost the game, the fashion yeah. that they did. She was letting off some steam, and she just 
let whatever came to her mind rip. I, I don't really have any reason or any way to justify or clean up what she said because it, it just came like it felt like it came out of left field. Like it was just something that maybe was on her mind for so long. And she was like, you know what, damn it, I'm on this stage. Let me go ahead and let it rip. I don't know. It was really strange to me. Now, she's been known to say some things before in, in the past, and that's why you either love Kim Mulkey or you hate her because at least you know you're going to get her honest opinions. I think this was I think this was a bad statement. I think it was yeah. a bad statement about the COVID. Now, I will say when she said something when Baylor was going through their controversy some years ago and she said, hey, you know, uh, if someone talks bad about your university, you know, uh, stand up, punch them in the face or whatever like that, and that went viral <laughs> and that went crazy, I actually – and you might not agree with this. I actually applauded her for that. I really did. Yeah, I don't. Because, and this is why. <laughs> yeah. This is why I applauded her for this. Because yeah. being here in the market, no coach on that staff, nobody at that university had the stones to say anything like, hey, this is not a bad school. There's some bad apples, but this is not a bad school. Nobody had any kind of stones to step up and say anything. Everyone was quiet. No coach wanted to say a word. And finally, she got tired of it and was like, hey, you know, stand up for who you are. Stand up for your school. Now, again, I understand that the context at the time probably wasn't the best way to say it, punch him in the, in the face because people take it literally when she's not saying that it's just like when you say hey go out and break a leg you don't really mean for someone to go out and break a leg you mean go out there and kill it right i get it but i so i actually applauded her for that and i said it on the air and i said you know what i'm glad that she had the stones to say something because nobody else does and well, but here's it q, and q, I, q. here's I told it her. dude here's the thing having the stones <laughs> is one thing saying stuff that's stupid and borderline anti-female when you're a female and you're a role model and you're a leader that's that goes beyond having the stones. You're just a buffoon. She th- come at the time Baylor football was under the specter of 52 rape and sexual assault allegations. Right, and, it was and, bad. And, and and her statement was, was about bad. if if people say they're not safe, they don't feel safe coming to campus, punch them in the face. Like, wait, so you're going to you're going to address safety concerns by getting violent? Like, I don't I don't mean to get too literal, but you're making over a million dollars a year. You're a leader in the community, and you're right. Other coaches, especially male coaches, are not going to say anything. It's a horrible situation. But for the most powerful female, arguably in the state, to say, hey, if you don't like it and you don't feel safe here, you get punched in the face. Like, Mulkey, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I know what you're saying, and you're taking it literally as many people did. But, again, with the being here in the city, in the market, and knowing everything that was going on with all the, the conversations, a lot false, a lot true. You know, uh, Baylor, the issues with all the rapes on campus, that was a really, in my opinion, an institution problem. That was a more Baylor problem than anything else and their old school ways that they're stuck in. And believe me, they're stuck in some old school ways. And so that was a lot of them and not having the proper chains of, of command and, and all that. And that was that was an institution problem. But again, I just think that and she was really talking about people outside saying, hey, I wouldn't go to Baylor because it's not safe. And she was basically was saying, stand up for your university and tell them that this is a great place. It's there's a, some bad apples that are getting away with some terrible, terrible things. That's how I took it, and that's why I could appreciate what she had to say. Q's going to stick with us. Uh, We'll finish up on this on the other side. we got to get to a lot of Raiders news. It was a little bit of a quieter week uh, with the Raiders in terms of signings, but we got a couple of signings to talk about, especially Willie Sneed at wide receiver. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Chopping it up on a Tuesday. It's Cofield and Company at the Nova Home Loan Studios. 
Hugh Myers back up on Cofield and Company. Just to finish up what we were just talking about before the break. It got highly charged. It got highly charged. I almost hung up on Kim now. Listen, Don't do that. <laughs> on, on Kim Mulkey and her behavior you know, last night and in the past. Last night she was just, you know, she was real muted about uh, non-call, which is, is fine. That's tough after the game. But uh, she does have a weird history of uh, getting super grumpy and super protective of Baylor. And I understand that. When you're getting beat up from the outside uh, and, you know, you feel like you're a punching bag, at a certain school and you're a coach, you do want to lash out. It just, it was not the time, I don't believe, to lash out in the past. But uh, we'll put that to bed. I'm sure Kim Mulkey will say something stupid in the future. So we'll have a chance to uh, grade uh, what she was saying. All right, let's talk a little bit of Raiders. As uh, Lockdown Raiders podcast is a great podcast that Q Myers does, and he joins us every Tuesday here on Cofield and Company. Willie Sneed, you like it or you want to see someone signed at receiver who's a little bit bigger? I would like to see someone with a little bit bigger size, but I, I like the Willie Sneed signing better than I like the John Brown signing. I have not been big on the John Brown signing at all. I know both of these guys are small, uh, but I think Willie Sneed, I feel like he's just got a little bit more something in his neck. You know, he's one of those guys that's going to give you a little bit extra edge. He's going to go up there and get those 50-50 balls, at least give you an opportunity. Uh, and I feel like he's a little bit more durable than than John Brown. But either way, some size would have been nice. Again, I go back to, you know, a Juju Smith-Schuster. I would have been fine with that. You know, if you give him a one-year, two-year deal, whatever, I would have been good with that. Uh, it didn't happen, so be it. But uh, Willie Sneed, I think he'll be, provide some good competition to that wide receiver room. I don't think it's right where it needs to be yet, but, I mean, it's it's going to be competition. At least the competition's deep. How does the room get right? I mean, basically, you're hanging most of your hopes on Edwards and Ruggs, right? They have to develop into JIT number two or even number one options. Exactly, and that's my biggest thing. Like, are they going to be able to take that next step? Brian Edwards has ideal size. I mean, he could really be that guy, but the problem is going back to even when he was in college at South Carolina, he can't stay healthy. So I don't know about you, but I don't think the older people get, the, the healthier they get. You know, mo- most of the time, uh, if a guy is, is injury prone in high school, he's going to be injury prone in college. And then in college, he's going to be injury prone in the NFL. So I'm hoping that Brian Edwards can turn that corner, but we'll see. And Henry Ruggs, I don't know if John Gruden and company knows how to use him yet. You know, I mean, I, I was thoroughly disappointed in the way that they used Henry Ruggs in 2020, his rookie year. Um, you don't buy a Ferrari to drive it like a minivan. You just don't. I mean, there's no reason for that, you know? And so if you're going to go out there and get that speed, I thought they were taking CeeDee Lamb at number 12. They didn't. CeeDee Lamb was there. I thought that that would have been an ideal guy for John Gruden's offense. They went out there and got a guy that they said is their modern-day Cliff Branch, but they didn't treat him like Cliff Branch. You know, they just treated him <laughs> like another dude out there. So I, I don't know. If they can get this guy to the next level, and him and Brian Edwards, great. Then you're cooking with grease. But if not... Then what? And honestly, I think they're going to dip into the draft and get a wide receiver as well. But still, the question is, can they develop him? No doubt. No doubt. And uh, it seemed like at the end of the year last year, they were kind of throwing their hands up with Henry Ruggs. And they're like, hey, it's all on Ruggs. Like, no, it's on you guys, too. You deemed him a number one. You made him the pick. Either find a way to get him more targets and more touches, even if they're really simple stuff. Or this is a failed pick. Now, it's early, so they still got time. Um, I want to go back and talk about the collection of players they re-signed but also added on the defensive line. Uh, let's talk a little unique in Gakwe. Um, there's been you know, a split opinion on him. Uh, initially, I saw a lot of football people say, hey, you know what, maybe uh, not a full-time player, you know, and he's uh, kind of got a one-track mind. He's not great against a run because he's always got the ears pinned back. Uh, I've seen it kind of even out, and people are like, hey, his role in this Gus Bradley defense is going to work. I want to ask you something. This is a weird one, and this is going in the uh, – it's not really not the Wayback Machine, but we'll go back a couple of years. Uh, Q, I mean, you know this, right? You are an African-American in a very – like uh, an industry that does not have a lot of diversity, right? 
No. So you're yep. you're in this unique position. Uh, the NFL is pretty diverse. So I wonder. I, I got to get your take on Richie Incognito is back. I forgot right. all about this, but he and Ngakwe apparently got into it in a 18 playoff game with uh, Jacks and the Bills. And Ngakwe said that Incognito threw a racial slur at him. Ngakwe was asked about it. He's like, "Nah, we're all good now. We hugged it out." I right. wonder how that works in the workplace. Well, I'll tell you, uh, as a guy who goes through it every day, uh, I'm actually glad you brought this up. It's a great topic. Uh, as a guy who experiences this every single day at my current job, um, I always tell everyone, as long as I know how that guy feels, mm. I can I can handle it. Because if you give people an opportunity to tell you who they are, they will. And I can give you countless on top of countless examples of what goes on with me on the daily at my radio station that I just, I sit back and I shake my head at, I go back and tell my wife and she just, she just looks at me and says, wow. I mean, when you think that it doesn't get any crazier then it does. And the thing about it is a lot of these times, these guys that say stupid stuff don't even realize it's stupid stuff. They just think that it's normal everyday conversation. Like my, my best perfect example for this is we have a sales guy that is trying to sell my show and so he asked me for a picture of myself if I had a picture. And I said, well, we have one on the website like we have for everybody else. But my show is not just me. It's me and Stephen Simcox, which is a white guy. And he asked me for a picture of me because he was going to Killeen, Texas. Well, if you know anything about Killeen, Texas, it is predominantly black. So what he's going to do is he's going to take a picture of a black guy to black businesses and think that they're going to give him a boatload of money to advertise and say, hey, we have a black guy on the radio. looks like you. So why don't you advertise with us? Like, just stupid stuff like that. Like that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, you got to have something to sell. You know that you do sales. You got to have, you got to have something behind it. You can't just go in there with a picture of a black guy and be like, Hey, black guy, you want to buy a black guy show? I mean, it just doesn't work. That doesn't happen. No one does that. I, as a black guy, I would never do that. Yeah. You know, that just doesn't make any sense, but that's the kind of stuff that we hear and, and, and stuff that I hear. And it's just, it's so, and I just keep shaking my head like, yeah, well, okay, there you go. It is what it is. Yeah, I'll say that's interesting to have to, uh, you know, kind of hold your tongue sometimes and, you know, and not explain to people and like explain in really strong terms. So going back to uh, Ngakwe and Incognito, I think that's that's really interesting that, uh, hey, that's the way it is. You got to hug it out or, you know, or else you're going to harbor, I guess, uh, resentment for a while. Here's the other thing. They also they play on the offensive line and defensive line. You really don't have to be around each other that much. I guess you coexist. But uh, but going well, back to the beginning of it, if it did happen, as you said, Ngakwe knows what he's dealing with now. At least, you know, it's, you're not sitting there wondering, like, hey, is this guy cool with me or not? Does he hate me right. for some reason? Like, he said it, so I kind of know where he stands. And, and the thing, the good thing for Ngakwe is that, you know, he's a younger dude. He's, uh, I think, more valuable than Richie Incognito is at this point. But at some point, they were probably kind of on the eight, even playing field. And then you have to wonder if you have a bigger problem and really go after it. And now, mm -hmm. uh, of course, when you're dealing with millions and, and football players, it's a little bit different. But if you really make a big stink about it, are you jeopardizing what you have going on? You know what I mean? Or do you just take it on the chin and say, well, OK, I guess I can roll with that. I mean, I had my boss come to my house and ask, ask me if my house was a rental. Like, that's not even a That's not even a conversation piece. I would never go to your house and say, hey, Steve, is this a rental? I wouldn't. Because it's not in my business, first of all. But right. why would you assume that it's a rental? Because it's nice? Because I drive a nice car? Why is it a rental? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, it's Central Texas, and it's old school ways and a lot of old school thoughts. And I'm I've learned a whole lot since I've been here. It ain't I'm California. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It ain't Vegas. And, and, and tell people, originally you're from California where? 
Uh, Oakland. Yeah. Oakland and then Fresno and Stockton and, you know, all up and down the valley. So believe me, Central Texas was a culture shock when I got here. I, I'm used to it now. I know what's going on now. Nothing surprises me except for it surprises me. <laughs> Q Myers, a regular on Raider Nation Radio here in Vegas. Uh, also locked on Raiders podcast. Not exactly your neck of the woods, but Texas is gigantic in the state. And we were just talking about, you know, interesting dynamics from a race standpoint. Am I wrong jumping to the conclusion that uh, maybe Shaka Smart was up against it from the get-go here? I mean, that's that's a weird deal. It, we were saying yesterday, Adam Hill was, that it feels like Shaka was told, hey, dude, you might be fired here. So he started looking. But for yep. Shaka to say, you know, all this money, all this might, I'm going to leave it behind to go to Marquette is a little bit weird. It is. Uh, he, he was up against it. Uh, you know, I was excited when they made the hire uh, at, at Texas with Shaka Smart. I thought he was going to bring his style of of uh, defense and, and the, the way he coached up, uh, that, that he was going to bring that to UT and really have him playing that way. And then he said that, well, the guys that go to UT don't want to don't want to play that style, which I thought was a mistake on his part. But uh, he, he was he was on his way out. And so he you know, he, he decided to fall forward and, and go and get that job at Marquette. So he never technically got fired. Uh, I think that that's a, a good decision for him. I think he's going to be much better at a basketball school, somewhere that actually cares about basketball, because UT doesn't really care about basketball. They, they act like they do. They talk about they do. They want to do it, but then they don't really, really force themselves to do it. They don't really apply themselves to try to do it. So I, I just think that he'll be a lot better at Marquette. Um, I'll tell you, it's funny. Uh, when Charlie Strong got the head coaches uh, at, at the football to, uh, UT football, that was a joke. I knew when he got that job that he wasn't going to last. Well, I mean, we, we had we had Red McC- we had Red McCombs come out, an alum and a big booster, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, he's more of a coordinator type." Like you were yeah. just talking five minutes ago about you know impressions you make by saying certain things. Like, what does that mean? Well, we know what it means. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he was doomed. You know, he was their last option, and just like, okay, they settled for him. So uh, you knew that he wasn't going to stick around there. And I've got guys that I'm really good friends with that are former UT players that tell me Charlie Strong never had a chance, Q. Never had a chance. As soon as he walked in the door, he was counting his days as he was going to be walking out the door. So there well, you go. Q, we saw Indiana settle for, and I'm, you know, Mike Woodson deserves a chance. I think he can do a decent job. He's 63 years old, really hasn't yeah. coached in college. So, that, But that was, you know, honestly, that was their six or seven choice. So they all, all these big baller names. And, you know, I was screaming about it. Uh, I don't care about Indiana, but I, I, if you're to me, if you're a blue blood and you really want to win, then you have to go and get the coach you want. And money can't be an object. If you're Indiana, you spend ten mil to get rid of Archie Miller. Then you got to have like six or seven mil to go get Jay Wright. You got to get a guy. Yes. And to yep. me, if Texas, if Chris Beard is the number one target, money cannot be an object. You have to get Chris Beard from Texas Tech. Dude already makes five mil a year. Then guess yeah. what? You got to offer him seven. And I, I mean, it, I don't like giving out. Texas has the money. It doesn't matter. I don't like giving out 10-year deals, but then it's got to be $70 million. Like, you have to get the guy. If you're yep. fired up to get rid of Shaka Smart, then you better get the guy, and it better not be your ninth choice. Exactly. That's the biggest key. If you're going to get rid of somebody, then you better go and get that home run that you believe is going to get you over the top. Chris Beard, obviously an alum of UT. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's not talking about it right now, so it means at least he's thinking about that job. Obviously, he is option A for UT, but we'll see. If they're not willing to roll out all that money, which they have plenty of it, they print money in Austin. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what the holdup is. If they want their guy, they need to go send that private jet and go do what they did to go get Shaka Smart and, and, let money be no object. And so I'm sure that that's what they're going to attempt to do. The question is, is Chris Beard going to leave and go there and, and leave a school that respects him as a basketball coach to go to a UT that we question if they're really con- concerned about the basketball program. Cube, tell people about the Lockdown Raiders podcast. 
You can check out the podcast on the daily, Monday through Friday. I put it out early in the morning, 1215 uh, Pacific Standard Time. Locked on Raiders podcast. Anywhere you find your podcast is where you can find it. And, of course, if you follow me on Twitter, at your boy Q254, I tweet out a link each and every day. There he is, Q Myers. Is, uh, we have him on every Tuesday to talk some Raiders and whatever else is going on in the world of uh, sports. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.